Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Not Yet Rated. My what name what? is Dean James. It's great to have your company. And for all the latest news regarding our podcast, do check us out on Facebook. Facebooks! And give us a like at NYR Podcast. And on this week's episode... Do you know, it f- turns out like Zuck was calling because he didn't want to pay for news. I thought Zuck was talking to fucking ScoMo because he was like, oh, podcast kicks we are, ass. Yeah, it kicks ass. I mean, you know, how can you oh, not like love Zuck. us? How can you not no love us? No one cares about your news, mate. Get on there and give us a like, will ya? And also, I will give out a shout out to... Mother Zucker! Yeah, absolutely. But I will give out a shout out now that you've mentioned it. Uh, We've had a few more audience choices in the last couple of days. Magnificent. Bastards. I would like to acknowledge those people out there. So Legends. if you have not yet done an audience choice, because we're coming soon to that, not yeah, next God. week, but the week, week after. after. <laughs> so watch out for that. But obviously it's do send us a like. free weekly wheel of... Boom. I know. It's just like... Yeah, so I'm pretty excited to see what our next story is just I can't wait be. to find out what happens because we don't tell each other what we're going to watch. No. Like he's got no idea what I'm going to say no, at the end we, of this. No, we do it on so, the show. We so do. The, the whole thing is I'm looking forward to the time when I say one and it's on the wheel. Oh, yes. Wouldn't that be interesting? And just double up. Oh, gosh. Well, we can't exactly double up, can we? No, but we can say, look, 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 look. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that film is on there. Oh, so my the God. first person that does that, I'll just be like, great minds. Yeah. Great minds do think alike, don't they? And on this week's episode, it was my turn to choose a film, so I went a bit nuclear. (laughs) Nuclear dynamite. He did melt a hole all the way to China. I did, all the way to China. And yes, 1979 James Bridges' film, The China Syndrome. Holy shit. Holy shit is a really good way to describe this film. What a Fucking movie. It is a really interesting movie, Holy this one. crap, it's good. It is good. And there's so many good things about it. Uh, and I'm talking about Oof. a number of things um, which I really want to explore. Same, dude. On this episode today. Same. I really do. Because I find that this film, to me, after watching it, I haven't seen this for maybe 10, 10 or so years, and it was so Mine's great. Longer. It's like 15 or 20. Yeah, absolutely. But it was so great Sorry, to revisit. It was like 15 or 20. <laughs> We're getting so back, old, aren't back we? Back in the day. We're getting so old. I saw old. it first on a VHS. At Absolutely. But I think really the essence for me with regard to this film when I was watching it again, it's really a film about ethics. And it's a film that translates. You remember how we were talking about last week when we were talking about how the David Duchovny character and how that family was Mm. like, if anything, it wasn't as extreme as Instagram. Yeah. Like the nature of business and reporting news and safety and responsibility and ethics in this film is something that people now are so cynical. Like that film itself is now just how people think the world is. Absolutely. It's incredible. It is incredible. And for the time period when this film was made in 1979, like the whole idea about nuclear power and nuclear, anything around that was was really quite scary. But I also want to add a, a couple of interesting things. I was doing a lot of reading up on this film. This is Good, because I did none. Oh, well, I did quite a bit. And it is Fascinating. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It is absolutely fascinating. But as we go along, I reckon as we get into a bit of a, a plot discussion, um, I'm going to add in some little bits and pieces here and there to, cool. to correlate to sort of the influences that persuaded, or not persuaded, but that sort of inspired the writer of this um, screenplay. His name's Mike Cook. He wrote, or oh, one of the people that wrote the screenplay. And it's fascinating how he's able to sort of take a lot of the things that actually happened and 
incorporate it and dramatize it in this film. So was this like an eight mile island kind of thing? Yeah, well, I'm going to talk about that. I wanna, right. Yeah, because that- Because I was like, that was around the time of Eight Mile Island. It right? is, it is. And at the end of last week's episode, when I mentioned the film, I, I sort of mentioned a little bit about the reception of the film. That ties in very well with that. So I'll get to it. Okay, sweet. I will get to it. But um, I like how the film starts because you established uh, to the reporter, we see this reporter, her name is Kimberly Wells, and mm. she's played by Jane Fonda. And Jane Fonda, she's out on location- She's uh, sort of getting ready to have a little sort of soft news segment on yeah, little, um, little pluff piece, you yeah. know, a little like, and here's the kids with the thing in the place. Yeah, exactly. Oh, look at them. You know, some. Belly- oh, here's something weird. Hers was singing telegrams. Yeah, singing telegrams. But there was different genres. There was. But the thing that blew me away about that was yeah. the lovely misogynistic chat happening in the control room I s- as a juxtaposition yes. to her and her trying to get the information to run her report. I am so glad you mentioned about uh, misogyny here because um, it's it's one of the issues that I have with regard to the representation of this particular character because after, just before the opening titles happens, you've got sort of the big wigs. You've got Jakovic and a few other uh, guys as well who are in, as you mentioned, in the control room and they're basically saying, oh, I think she's fantastic. She's going to be the next. She looks so much better with the red hair. She looks so much better. Did you tell her about cutting it? She'll do what she's told. That's exactly right. She'll do what she's told. And I think it's fascinating because in order for her to climb up the ladder, she's obviously going to be in the control of men. And men are the ones that will make the decisions about what she can and cannot do on air. And that's the thing that's the underlying sort of ideologies coming through here uh, with regard to that character because I think it's interesting that um, Jane Fonda, particularly at the time, who was a really well-known actress, she'd won Academy Awards, she was really great. She was obviously the daughter of um, Henry Fonda, a famous actor. Yep. But the other thing I also want to tie in here is that Jane Fonda was actually not meant to be in this film. Okay. It was actually meant to be three males. So you were meant to have Jack Lemmon. You were meant to have Michael Douglas. But the person that was meant to play the Jane Fonda in character was Richard Dreyfus. Isn't that interesting? Just just let this dead ear fall over <laughs> While I'm trying to contemplate. I'm sorry. Mr. Hooper. I'm sorry. I cannot. Mr. Hooper from Jaws. Yeah. Doing a puff? No. No, it doesn't work, does it? Because Richard Dreyfuss, like, to me, he could not play this kind of character. No no. way. He's too comedic in a lot of his films. He has that element to it. His saccharine sort of delivery for this sort of stuff, he'd either be too comedic or he'd appear too sarcastic. I agree. So he'd already not be invested in what it's doing, whereas she's the most professional person. She is. In the whole situation, yeah. so in the new situation and everything else, like she's number one mm. when it comes to doing her job right on the money. So she'd spoken to the cameraman. She's asking them about shots. Yeah. She's directing her own segment. Yeah. She's like, come in close on my face. But also, yeah. like, and this will jump ahead a lot, but tell mm. me like, how she contrasts against the other females in the film. Well, that's the thing. What other females are There's there? There's no other females. That's it's all right. male-dominated industry. So the... The only other females you see are in a service industry or as a concerned mother. I totally agree. And you don't see a lot of that because, I mean, as I said... And they're about 2%. Yeah, that's right. Because the the film here is really the juxtaposition between uh, traditional news media versus nuclear power. But as you mentioned before, you know, the news media at that time was very male-dominated and as was the nuclear power industry as well. And that's what we see in in this film, which is, you know, quite sad really. But, I mean, at the time period, it it was obviously normal. But you had things like women's liberation 
revolution and second wave feminism and all those sorts of things coming into play. So I'm really proud of the fact that James Bridges actually decided to go with a female with his character. And not only was that a good idea, but the way she played it is you got empathetic yeah. to the way that she was treated. I agree. Because it made it so gross it, and in your face. It did. And it was that kind of insidious thing where you didn't necessarily see them talking about her as mm. well. Like you got a lot of off-screen chatter. Yeah, you did. So it was kind of... and. You know, this comes down to the score of the film. Yeah, and I'm going to talk about <laughs> the score, or AKA the lack of score. But speaking of music, that for me was where you just like pull Dino's string. Yes, because exactly. he's going to get off on it. He's oh, going to go. I am. I am going to talk about that in terms of direction. There is not much music in this film, except a bit at the end of the start. That's it. That's right. It's just this song, and Over it's the uh, Stephen Bishop's somewhere in between. Now, Stephen Bishop's a interesting uh, musician. I don't know if you know any of his. How so? Well, he did some of the songs for Tootsie. Have you seen Tootsie? Of course I have. Oh, I love Tootsie. Tootsie's amazing. Tootsie's great. Um, Stephen Bishop did uh, some of the songs in that film. He did the lead song in that film called Tootsie. But there was also another one too uh, as well. And it was called uh, It Might Be You. Oh, yeah, you know that's that a great track. It's a great track. Yeah, that's a fantastic track. Yeah, that's track. right. But, yeah, this song is played during the opening titles. And this is the part where... Uh, Jane Fonda's character, Kimberly Wells. She's, she's Russian. Russian out to... Russian out to do her daily. Yeah, Ventana. Her next, her next one. Yeah, her next um, special. So she's going out to the Ventana nuclear power plant. It's also one of the few shots in the film which is actually dynamic. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Isn't that interesting like, point about the shot? It's, yeah, It's real interesting at the start where it establishes this kind of movement and this song sort of sets you up. And then the music stops and it never starts and again. And it never comes back again. And not even an undermix, not like a little no. bit of the tension in this film is Oh shit! It's the remarkable. Is amazing, and that's the strength of the direction by James Bridges here. Because you think of a film that does not have score, and you think that oh, I don't know how that's going to really engage audiences. There's not that many, but there's not that many, and this one really is a standout to me with regard to how effective the film is in terms of building tension and anxiety and suspense without any kind of music because they rely heavily on just not only the camera work at times, especially the character actors actors and how bloody good the performances are in this film. I'll get to that in in quite a bit of detail. But also the effectiveness of the dialogue and the dialogue itself is one of the most amazing things about this film. So she goes out to do a puff piece. So she's just done one where it's singing telegrams and they're like, she needs to go out because we're doing like an energy week. Yeah. And it's promoting this new power plant that's out there. And yeah. It's, it's been running for... A couple of years. A couple of years. So yeah. it's pretty well established. It is. And um, so she's out there with a cameraman who's a cheeky bastard. Mm. Well, you're Richard interested. Adams, played by Michael Douglas. So Richard Adams, who's played by Michael Douglas, who's a former sort of militant yeah. cameraman who does independent things and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And he's come on to make some bank. He so has. she's brought him in. Because he's a good cameraman. He's a good cameraman. He's cheeky as hell. Oh, so cheeky. And he's also sexist as hell because oh. he smacks her on the ass before the first bit and you're like, Michael Douglas. Yeah. You can't do that. I know, you can't do that. But and it he, suits his character. Oh, it does suit his character very, because very well. Because he's passionate, but he's also very cheeky. I know. So he's got he's got his own ideals that he's trying to work with and mm. stuff like that. So they're doing a puff piece inside this nuclear power plant. They are. They're like, have a look at how safe it is, America. Yeah. Everything's wonderful. Then they go to the control room where they're overlooking the control room. Yeah, the so PR like, guy. This Gibson. is how it yeah. works. There's a little pellet and you put it in here. That mm. guy has played that straight guy in so many films. Oh, like yeah. He's got a terrible haircut, but he's amazing. He's played, if you think of yeah. like a 1978 to 1983, like straight yeah. 
dad type, it's that guy. It's so got Yeah, his name is James Hampton. He plays Bill Gibson. He's the PR guy for Van yeah. in the film. Yeah. So they take him into the control room. They do. And then... Jack Lemon's in there with the yep. crew. They are. And the alarm goes off and they're up there. And yeah, Jack Lemon, that's where we're established to him. He plays Jack Goodell in the film. He plays and Jack. He plays Jack, played by legendary Jack. Jack. <laughs> Good on you, Jack. Love you, Jack Lemon. Um, and yeah, he comes out and, you know, things are starting to go a little bit pear-shaped. And uh, it turns He's, out to be a little bit of a turbine trip, which is, you know, they're sort of downgraded a little bit until... That's where they the decide water runs to... Out. The water runs out. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, so what happens is that the instrumentation shows that mm. the tank's actually flooding. Yes. Whereas in reality, that instrumentation panel was stuck. Yep. And it was actually running out of water. Warding so out. if the core is exposed, yeah. that's super bad. I don't it's know if huge. anyone knows about Chernobyl or no. know about anything like that. Yeah. But if the core in a nuclear power plant is exposed and you live anywhere within thousands of miles, just... Yeah, that's it. Cancer exposure just and kiss your just ass goodbye. So many so people dying. It just would have really, been catastrophic. They're getting really close. Michael Douglas is up in the booth and he's secretly recording yeah. this. And that goes back to the ethics that I was talking about yeah. before. You know, like he's secretly filming and he's been told not to for security purposes and all those yeah. sorts of things. But that's where the, sort of the ethics behind journalism the, comes into place a little step. bit later. They're the first step, correct? The first step in ethics. And the one thing, oh, let's just talk about Jack Lemon for a minute. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because when he starts it, he extrudes such confidence oh, as the engineer. It's impeccable and he performance. Absolutely, whole. I, if he was like, check this dial, I would look at it. Yeah, and I could just be walking past with a tray of sandwiches, absolutely. which is all I'd be qualified for. Yeah. And he could be like, you need to check that dial, and I would just look at it. So he starts from this position of confidence. Mm. And then the panic sets in and he's directing his team and you can see that he's nervous is about yep. it and he starts to understand the seriousness of the situation. I agree. And his character changes and his mannerism changes and yep. his voice changes yep. and he directs people differently. Yep. And then he does that amazing bit where he turns around and waits. And he waits. He puts his hands on top of the counter and he on puts his hands Absolutely. And you can see he's covered in sweat and everything and like just that. him yep. and the camera. It is. And... Holy shit. How fucking amazing is his performance in this film? In this film, it is devastating. I know. Looking at it now, like I yeah. watched it 20 years ago, I was like, damn, that was a good film. Yeah, but... But looking at it now, I look at his performance and I was like, I had no idea yeah. how good you really were. It's so damn good. And especially later on, like, you know, the yes. things that he does, because it's all about making sure that he's keeping people safe because he knows deep down that there is a major issue with his power plant. And we see that in that shot um, or in that moment in time. He's got his coffee cup there and he sees the vibration. Yeah, and he's like, what the hell was that? He's like, what the hell is that? And he knows yeah, he's automatically. Putting it together. Yeah, he knows automatically that he's also that is not an, normal. But he's also such an advocate yeah. for his plant. Like, this is his baby. He's been there since day one. But he is also a massive advocate for yeah. things like nuclear power. And Absolutely. he's passionate and he's smart and mm. he's articulate. Yeah. And exactly what you'd expect from someone in that. There's no dumbing down when he's talking. No, about there's not. When he's going through the logs of what happened, when he's talking to her later on. So later on, much later in the film, there's a confrontation. I wouldn't call it a confrontation, but she's looking for the Michael Douglas character and they're in a bar. Yeah. Oh, yes. So he's having a drink with the guys because mm. they had an investigation. Yeah, they had the investigation yeah. and it was basically revealed to be a stuffed valve and that was basically it. So the plant so, was yeah, shut there down. Was a, there was a stuffed valve and on the stuffed valve, there was also a stuck control. Control. So yeah. they were the two things that went wrong. And mm. in the... The tribunal, you can sort of see that it's pointing towards human error. It is. And 
fairly it is because there's backups on those dials. Yeah. So no one checked the backup. That's right. And even when Jack Lemon's in there and he said, um, you know, why didn't your people check the dial? And mm. he was like, he went and sat down and he gathered his sort of evidence that he had there and thought for a second. He goes, well, look, I didn't check it either. Mm. And he does that amazing thing where he's admitting guilt. I was like, this, oh my God. Yeah. But even later when he's talking to Kimberly, Kimberly yeah. They're having this conversation in a bar and he pulls her over to the side because, mm. you know, it's getting there and she's starting to ask some difficult questions. Yeah, she is. And she gets a, because she's like, mm, and she doesn't go there looking for this, but it's how her journalist comes out. I agree. I totally agree. And he pulls her to the side and the way that he describes the power plant and the way that he describes nuclear, he's so passionate about oh, he's it. so he's passionate. He's so believable. You can tell. And you know automatically by having that scene, it goes back to, you know, later on in the film with what happens. Yeah, his responsibility. His responsibility about the safety of everyone, really, yeah. with regard to what's going on with that plant because he knows immediately that that plant is not safe. It should not go back to full power and he needs to do everything he can to prevent any major disasters, which is what could potentially yeah, happen. Yeah, so they, they just avoid this. Yeah, so they he's do. he's like, you've got to do this, and then they wait, and it slowly rises back up, and then they manage to get it offline safely. Yeah, they do. So they just manage to avoid it, and everyone's like celebrating and stuff like that. Michael yeah. Douglas has filmed it on the sly. Yeah, he's filmed it on the sly, and they take it back to the television station, and basically they say, yep, this is the lead We've story. The We've got the scoop. But this is, goes back to the misogyny of this TV executive or this like, guy nah, that owns nah, it. He's nah. like, no, 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 we don't want you doing hard news. We think you're better with the soft news. Yeah, stick with the soft stuff. Stick with the it's soft where stuff. where you belong. Yep, exactly. And we are not <laughs> going to put this on air due to the fact that you, Kimberly Wells, who shouldn't be doing hard news, you should Did be doing news. the soft news, we're not going to put this on air as a result. And then what happens is they call the network exec who's yeah. like, well, first off, mm. let me quote, we're going to put this in the safe for tonight. Yeah. So they lock it up in the station. They do. And they're like, we need to be careful with this because mm-hmm. they see the evidence of what they've got. No one's ever seen anything like this. It's a huge news story. A huge. So they're like, all right, we need to make sure we're being careful. And then the next day they have a meeting. Yeah. Michael Douglas is in there losing his shit. Yeah, he loses. I love that scene, by the way. It's amazing. He's, Michael Douglas is so good there. It's, it's amazing where he's like, this this is what you're going to yep. do. Because, you know, Michael Douglas can play a good propelling lunatic. He can. He he's can. really good in that. And he's passionate where he's saying, this is a big thing the public needs to know. Absolutely. So his point of ethics is that we have a responsibility as journalists, as journalists yeah, to right. put this out here. I agree. The news guy's like, you filmed illegally and he's got, and I quote, on a federal property, mm-hmm. on a ground, yep. we can all go to jail. We're yep. accessories for talking to you in a federal crime. Exactly. So the real thing is that where's the pressure coming from not yep. to run this story? Exactly. And it's coming from the head of the station That's who right. knows the head of the people that mm-hmm. are getting billions of dollars because they're running the nuclear energy thing. Like we all know the game is crooked, but mm. this is a really clear and concise way of showing you how deeply interconnected all these things are together. I know. So it also for me raised that amazing thing which we're, we've been talking about now for the last two years, which is media independence. Oh, of course. So, you know, we say that, you know, particular things like the is the Australian a newspaper or just an editorial? Mm. Like, how do you actually define legitimacy in your journalism? How do you get away from the fact that you need to make money? How do you get away from the fact that you're selling ads? Exactly. How do you get away from the fact that there's a particular demographic you might target mm. in a particular language? Yep. This does it 
1978. Yeah, it does. It really does. And it's interesting too that you mentioned about that media independence kind of thing because a lot of the other networks, and it was stated in the film too, a lot of the other networks were actually going more hard news where yeah. that particular one was focusing on the soft news because it goes back to the target demographic that they're trying to appeal to, hence yeah. why Kimberly Wells is only meant to be doing the, the soft news. Yeah, and they've got their male... And they've got their male... Jerk anger. You know, he's so jerky. I hate he's that guy. such a dickbag. Hate him. Oh, he's atrocious in the film. That guy's just like the biggest sleaze you can think of, but he's sweaty and he's yeah. in a vinyl suit. And I'm telling you, this is like late 1970s style. So like you can the, immediately tell the style of the, the suit. He's got side-swept haircut. And he's got that real deep voice. Yes, I have got legitimacy. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you're gross. He's so disgusting. It's oh. so dis- <sighs> Um But as you said, Richard does steal the film. And uh, as a result of that, but he actually goes and steals it because he wants to get an expert opinion from nuclear experts with regard to what it actually is. Yeah, so Kimberly gets told off in a hardcore, basically, you're going to get fired unless you find this film. That's right. So she gets stuck in the middle again because Mm -hmm. he went, you know, you brought him on. She's like, he's a great cameraman and all this sort of stuff. And you brought him on, so you need to get him in on your ass. Exactly. You know? So she's under the pump to make sure that's there. Mm. She gets told at a party that night by the chief executive, stick to the soft stuff. That's right. So there's this thing where she, even when she's in a social environment, and then she gets home and plays her answering machine <laughs> after having not a great day. Yeah, no. And then the Richard. last message on it is... You really Richard. are an asshole, Kim. <laughs> you really are an asshole, Kim. And just hangs up on her. Thanks, I love Michael it. Douglas. So aggressive, too. Such a bastard. He's so... Such a bastard. But you know what? At, at that part, I understand. Yeah, because for him, you can just see that there's no question of the ethics. Not at all. Because people should see that this thing... And they're making decisions, the public, and because it's all guarded mm. by particular rules about reporting. So the only official report that came out was from the FCC or one of the yeah. regulatory bodies. Yeah, the nuclear regulatory commission yeah there was a small controlled da 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 you That's know that right. real sort of this is just we're telling you the bare minimum and it's not even accurate no exactly and once again from the nuclear power plant they're actually trying to cover up the whole issues regarding the yeah, ventara so all plant. the team yeah. that didn't look at anything there wasn't any things they were all cleared it said oh they acted exceptionally and they yep. go there was some evidence of human error but they managed to control it mm. all this sort of stuff but the thing that Jack Lemon's character isn't content with is that he's not sure that it was what it was. So he's got a mechanical yeah. issue that he's like, hmm. So that little knocking sound you hear in your car when you mm. turn left, he would not drive. <laughs> no, no. That dude would pull over no, and he wouldn't. actually pull the engine apart. And that's the, the kind of person that he is. Yeah, in and he does so much investigative work here. It's like one of the first things he does just before the nuclear power plant is meant to go back online. He gets in a radiation yeah, suit he gets and a, goes looks. Yeah, he does and he finds a leak. Yep. And he goes to his supervisor and says, no, nah, I don't believe that this is happening, but they completely... Completely ignore it. Yeah, he's like, there's a there's clearly a leak here. He's like, it just came from this one valve when it was doing yeah. its trip. And he's like, yeah, but you don't know that. And they're no. like, yeah, but it, 99% of the time, that's exactly what it would be. And he's yeah. not content that that's what it is because he was worried that he felt the first shutter. Yeah. Now, this is where the name of the film comes in. Yes, it does. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. because other people will just be like, is this Trump talking about the virus again? <laughs> Now that we're uh, back in Ronaland. We are. So it's, yeah, it's called the China Syndrome because they explain what happens is that when a core gets exposed, mm-hmm. so what happens is she goes to find him, he finds her and says, you need to come and see me at this room mm. at this time. Mm. So it's that 
proper sort of clandestine kind of thing. And he goes in and there's a, there was a nuclear scientist that he, no, there was a, a lecturer in nuclear physics mm, that's right. that he contacted. And then the lecturer contacted a friend who was actually like a nuclear scientist. Yep. And they were analyzing the film they were. and talking about what's wrong with it. And so Kimberly's asking questions around what it could be. And he's like, well, that's where you get the China syndrome. Mm. So the exposed rod, it's called the China syndrome because if the rod gets exposed, it burns through the ground. That's right. So it burns through the ground until it hits like proper soil and then any water table or anything and then it shoots radioactive. So it's called the China syndrome because, you know, it's that Bugs Bunny cartoon kind of thing where it just goes from one side of the earth earth, straight through to the other because it doesn't stop. No, exactly. Like once that reaction's happening, like nothing can stop Stop it. Stop it, yeah. So then it shoots a plume of radioactive smoke and dust Mm. and everything into the air and depending on the wind and that's where you get it. So that's what it's called. It is. And at that part where, you know, they have mentioned about the China syndrome and what it is, you just see... The, the facial expressions of Jane the Fonda, the weight that, you know, she has understood how much of a story this is, you know, it's about safety and all that sort of thing. But James Bridges really, really directs that very well oh, at that so moment. Oh, so good. That scene where they're in that room. It's just amazing. Because they're using like a Super 8 projector. Oh, yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah, and they have that and they're like, can you stop it there? And they're still running it and you hear the... <laughs> the fan running inside yeah, it so can. it doesn't melt your film mm. and it's got the projector and they're pointing to things on the, mm. the console like it's exactly and the realism of this film yeah it's so real like, isn't it when it, you're looking at that diesel motor shaking mm. in its mount mm. so meanwhile back at the plant mm. yeah so actually before i continue with back at the plant for a second i just want to add the production design oh, is shit. outstanding it's in amazing. this film. It is outstanding because, you know, you've got the whole entire control room. You've got the enunciators sort of flicking around and all of these wonderful things. You've got an excellent scale model yeah. of the diesel room. Yeah. So when it comes to like Great modeling job. and stuff like that, mm. like, you know, a lot of the time, like Jason and the Argonauts. Yes. <laughs> you can tell when there's been a model made. So yeah. those of you out there, I don't know, like Robocop 2. Mm-hmm. Um, or Robocop, even the first one where the walking robot was made as scale models, Mm. you know, so it's a very common practice, Mm. you know, Lord of the Rings did it, you know, you make a scale and then you can do footage. So they made this nuclear generator room as a scale model. And only until the second half of the film, I was like, oh, okay, that's a scale model. Yeah. Because the production design in this is like you're there. I agree. I agree. You, you just believe it. You feel like you're there. And yeah, especially the the production design with regard to the control room and the... Oh, it's the perfect. Over, it's absolutely perfect. And I know that they got a lot of designs from a lot of the other nuclear power plants in America at the time too, and they perfected it perfectly. But they also followed the protocol. They like did. The flashing boards were something that was amazing. incredibly common. Like that's the yeah. first thing that they used to have. Very impressive to yeah, look at. Incredible. Very Visually amazing. Uh, I just wanted to add that in when you mentioned... Oh, no, 1978. I just wanted to mention that because you mentioned about the, the plant. But speaking of that, I want to go back to that for a moment because once again we've got Jack is continuing on with his investigative work and then he finds some some radiographs and the radiographs it turns out that the radiographs were actually identical yeah so what happens is that when a nuclear power plant's made they take a radiograph of every single weld that's right so a mate of mine's a welder he's like oh I'd hate that yeah so um so they take a radiograph to make sure that the welds are all strong enough to pass quality assurance. Mm. So, you know, the same way that NASA checks every panel on a space shuttle or something yeah. like that. You know, it's the highest possible levels of quality control that they're yes. supposed to go through. So Jack's investigating yep. and they've got x-rays. Yeah. So effectively radiographs of these and he's putting them up. Guess what? They're the same. They're the same. So he's like, ah, you yep. don't have no... 
So he then goes to his supervisor and says, these are the same. And the supervisor's like, oh, come on, no one would ever get one of these finished mm. if you followed all the rules mm. and regulations. Not to mention how expensive it would be to get new radiographs. It was Three million. Millions of yeah, dollars. To get radiographs of everyone that's there. Uh, they'd have to check. Of that particular generator. Yeah, but it would right. also be the entire plant. Because if you find that it's been falsified in one place, yeah. you've got to do the whole thing again. Absolutely. You can't just do the bit that it's supposed to have done. Yeah. You'd mm. have to just basically wipe the slate and start fresh. And this goes back to how important of a character Jack is because he once again, he's he's got a responsibility here. So he yeah. goes and finds the person who actually signed off on these radiographs. They said they're the same. And they're the same. And he basically says, oh, yeah, I'm going to take it to the NRC. But then even worse... He has got connections. You're like, oh, those security people—they're gonna—they're gonna kill you. They've got their own security. They've got their own security. Yeah. Do I need to spell it out? That's right. They're worth billions. What are they gonna do? So, effectively, he's just saying they're gonna kill you if you do something with this. That's right. Because they're worth too much money. They're worth too much money, and he's and, not joking. And also, as well, that's why the the company that actually owns this particular nuclear power plant is trying to really hide the issues with it because they're actually in the middle of trying to get an acquisition for a new yeah, nuclear plant. Another three or another four. Another a couple five. of them, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And obviously there's been a, a big protest. That's where Richard and uh, Kim is. Uh, yeah. A big protest saying, no, this is not what's going to happen. That sort of thing. But that's where Kim and Richard have, once again, from the journalistic point of view, have the responsibility of trying to persuade Jack to say, you know what? You lied to me. Yeah. I want to know exactly everything that we saw. We've got it filmed. But he mentions about those radiographs and says, will you testify? Yeah. And he's like, I can't. Yeah. I won't. And no. so his thing is, don't bring it to me because I'm probably being watched. Yes. I'll give some, I'll give mm. you the evidence that you need. Mm. Send this person to this place and yep. then I'll give it to them and away they go. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's fun too because Kimberly's character is now aligned with the Michael Douglas character mm. so much that they're both on the same page and they yep. both see the importance of doing this. So she's yep. like, she's not thinking of a career anymore. Mm. So before she was like, I'm going to do my time. I'm going to be the good girl. I'm going to sit there with the puffed up hair and do the soft puffy pieces. And eventually, you know, I'll get on the desk and then I'll get to do serious things. And that's where I'll get my professional fulfillment. And in this case, she's like, actually, I've got a moral responsibility to do this. Yeah, that's right. And that's why she's continuously doing that story, even though she's been told not to. Her performance is excellent. Oh, it's so good. It's so damn good. So nuanced. I know, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, just little subtle things. Just and so believable. Of, there's a lot of little shots of her face. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of close-ups of each of the characters' face. Mm. You know, because there is no score. There's nothing else driving it except the uh, the character and that's And that's so, why the direction in this film is so, so strong cool. because he uses uh, James Bridges. He uses so many close-ups and really makes it clear to the audience about how these characters are actually feeling. And yeah. I, you just feel it straight away. It's just straight away. It's straight away. Absolutely. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, man. It's actually too good in a way. But with that... Um, he does make the decision to take those falsified uh, radiographs yep. and gives it to uh, their sound guy, Hector, and yeah, does a little exchange. Now, I've got to talk about this because this is one of the first things I sort of want to mention. You know how I mentioned at the start yeah, yeah. of today's podcast about uh, some of the influence that occurred. So Hector is in the car and um, the guys are following him and basically yeah. his car just goes off into 
you know, ravine. into the ravine. Now, Hector obviously survives. Yep. He does survive. But um, that incident was actually based on a true story. So there's a couple of things that we see in this film that is based on a true story. And that incident where falsifying welding records actually came to light in 1975 at a Boston nuclear power plant. And then the scene where Hector is nearly killed what? by the company thugs while transporting documents to the safety hearing was actually based on the 1974 death of Karen Silk. Wood. The fuck? Yeah, I know. Oh, people are the worst. They are the worst. And when I read up about this, I thought, unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Do you know, that's a really good nod to her. I mean, yeah. I mean, she died doing the exact same thing of trying to get the truth. Trying to get to, the truth. To a commission hearing. Yeah. That's a that's a kind of nice nod to let her know it that is. her tragedy at least then inspired something where it became mm. believable that this happened. I might have even inspired people to look into it. Yeah, I know. I just oh. found that absolutely fascinating. But in the but film... But I don't... It doesn't shock me. It doesn't. Ugh. I know. And that's the thing. We're and, the worst. And that's only the first thing I'm going to mention, by oh, the way. I'm going to mention a few other things, too. Don't you love it when people are just like, ah, we can cut some corners, we'll be dead before anything goes wrong. Like, everyone that's just like, emissions! Absolutely. And the other thing... Fishing! The other thing that I want to mention here that has actually was influenced on the true story, because we are coming Come close on, towards... The end of the film. Okay. So, the end of the film. Okay, so... We've got a... T- oh, well, just in the lead-up. So, Jack, um, obviously, Hector doesn't go to the hearing and, you know, he's in a car accident and all that sort of thing. But then Jack is followed, once yeah. again, by these thugs who threaten him. So, he, the only thing he can do is he's like, okay, let me drive to the power plant because it's on my way there and go through there and security can't let these thugs in. Yeah, they that's won't get they- in. No, that's right. So, the thing that Jack is so alarmed about at this situation is he goes in there and he finds out that... The power plant is coming close to full power by within a couple of hours. Yeah. Essentially. They're just going to flick it all back on and away they go. And oh, can I just say, Jack Lemon's performance at that moment in time, he says this amazing quote and the way he articulates it. He says it like this. There was a vibration. Yeah, he does. Amazing. And the room stops. And oh. so his best mate works there. He's like, just just, just have a relax. Yeah. Like, don't worry about it. So yeah. he's, he's like, go home. The, yeah, he's pulling the corporate line on it hardcore. Yeah. Because, you know, they don't want to lose their jobs. No. And everyone's in the same sort of thing. Like, we got off scot-free. Mm. We owe the company. Mm-hmm. We've been told by Jack's boss to shut up about it. Yeah. And just get on with it. So they're, they're telling the company line. And he's still worried. I think also because he is such an advocate of nuclear power, he feels a personal responsibility for that plant, but also the safety of everyone. Mm. So he's feeling that. There's that great scene just before that happens when he agrees to help the journalist and he's sitting at home just watching the TV and he's sitting with a beer hunched and you can feel the pressure on this guy. And this is where the pressure boils over. Yeah, it does. So he's in there and no one's listening. No. No one's taking him seriously. They think he's drunk. They think he's drunk. Mm. So he does the only thing he can do. Yes. And he grabs the security guard's gun and forces everyone out of the room. And he takes control of the control room. So oh, then he's got powerful. millions of people hostage yes. by using the nuclear power plant. So he to could do it. anything yeah. in there. Exactly. He could 
create the China syndrome. Yep. So could. then the CEO comes down. He's like, "How do we kill him?" Mm-hmm. Now the CEO. That, that's right. The CEO is played by Richard Hurd, and Richard Hurd. You know, if you know Richard, Hurd, you know, I just think of uh, Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Willem, he plays. Yeah, but he's hard to see. He is he's so, so far from he, Mr. Willem in this. He is rotten to the core in he's this film. Absolutely black-hearted, horrid monster, horrible man, horrible, just redonkulous in the way that yeah. he just wants to sort this out. Yeah, so I just had to mention about Richard Hood. <laughs> because he tells the guy, so basically they're like, we'll get the SWAT team in, they can't, the door's shielded. Yeah. So he tells the existing crew members to go down and actually cause an accident, the same one that you saw at the start of the film. Yeah. So you want an actual trip, so you want it to scramble. Mm-hmm. So he wants to scram the entire reactor, so he's going to put everyone at risk mm-hmm. just to cover this shit up. Yep. And that's what he's willing to do. So Kimberly's allowed into the room to interview him, and yep. he demands to get his voice heard so he can actually talk about the problems that's being there that everyone's been ignoring. Absolutely. And hiding and pushing people off the road for all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so they agree, but then black hearted CEO is like, don't let anyone in. Yeah, don't let anyone in. And so they rig it up and they're trying to get the power done. Meanwhile, the SWAT team's there. They're like getting ready, you know, mm. hut, 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 hut. Yep. You know, like getting ready to getting blow ready the door. to blow in there and essentially do what is necessary to stop this mad man who's holding it hostage. And the thing is that they've taken the CEO's word for the characterization of the person, even though he's in there with a journalist. Yeah. So they do this great thing where they start to do the interview and he's trying to articulate what his problem is. Yeah. And there's great scenes, great small scenes between him and Fonda in that point. I know. Her body language, his body language. I know. Like if you're going to be an actor, just watch this Just watch it. Just watch Jack Lemmon's performance. Just in general, just Just watch watch it. I know. They're all so bloody good. Jack Lemmon, I just... Yeah. It's too good. Dude, I know. Have we gushed over a film like this? Uh, I don't know. Actually. I don't think we've gushed this hard. Maybe over the acting, probably not. No, I don't. Not think so. over the acting. No, no. I think this is probably our first time. But so, it's just so tragic about what happens when that SWAT team comes in yeah, and the alarm's so going off. They That's cut the, the power part. to the cameras and everything. Yeah, so and the alarm is tripped. Yeah, the alarm is tripped, and he's like, "No, no, no, no! What are you doing? You idiots!" So what happens is that they're doing everything and the SWAT team come in and put three rounds into him. Bang, mm. bang, bang, bang. Instantly. Like without any question whatsoever. No get down, no nothing. He's working at the console mm. and he's lying there dying. Oh, no. He's dying on the ground. And yeah. Kimberly's there and he goes, I can feel I can feel it. Yeah. So it's then good. it switches to the camera in the generator room yeah. and it fucking shakes loose. I know. And it drops and breaks. Mm. But all the safety protocols which failed the first time work. Exactly. So everybody feels it. He was right. Yep. Absolute vindication. Yep. Even though he'll never know because the poor bastard's down on the floor. Yeah, that's right. None of the evidence has been recorded mm-hmm. because they cut the camera when Kimberly yeah, was interviewing did. him. They did. And so the CEO is like, ha ha. Yep. Success for capitalism. Corrupt bastards. Absolute pricks. And to go again. Uh, around that ideology around capitalism that you just mentioned, because, yeah, obviously they're caring about trying to get a new uh, nuclear power plant, that sort of thing. Outside, the media is swarmed, yeah. right? Not only Kim's uh, station, but, yeah, but other... Michael Douglas called everyone. Yeah, he called everyone. And they go out there and they do... you got uh, good old Gibson again, who's out there, the PR guy, and he's basically saying, yep, uh, we had a, a crazed employee. We had an insane employee. Yeah, and it was led to believe, yes, he was drinking. Yeah, just besmirching the hell out of his character. I know, and just absolutely going Scapegoating nuts. so hard. So hard, and... 
just the corrupt nature of that organization is just disgusting. When I, I reacted quite firmly and strongly at that part because I, <laughs> I did. Because did you I, yell at the TV? I was so angry. <laughs> yes. I was angry about, you know, and the reason why I was more angry is because of that this clearly happens. You know, and sometimes when we see yeah. it, it we just don't know about no, exactly. it. exactly. We know it happens, but to see it in a dramatised in this film, but because it's so believable, the realism of this film is just so strong, you yeah. just get so hyped up in it. And because there's no music in it and that sort of thing, you just rely heavily on that all-important use of and the you, dialogue. And the atmosphere that's created through yeah. that. Like none of the atmosphere in any of the scenes... Yeah is overdone. They're no. perfectly balanced. So in this case, you do get the cacophony of reporters. You do get the flashing lights from all the sirens. You do. You know, you get the police over to one side. You get the media that's mobbing mm. to try and get the best story. Like, all that, you're in the midst of it. You are. And it's really good. And that's when Kimberly gets her moment. So they yeah. bring out the most senior engineer, mm. which was Jack's best friend. Yeah. Ted Spindler. Yeah. Ted. And then she starts asking Ted questions. Yes. And she keeps going and they're trying to pull Ted out of there because he's like, this is the weak link to our PR. Yep. And she gets him to talk. And yeah. she's like, is that your friend? Yeah. Is that what he was like? And he's like, no, he was a hero. Mm-hmm. And he was not a lunatic. He was not yep. drunk. And I love how when he does say that, yes, Jack was a hero. Yeah. And you just see, once again, goes back to how strong of a performance Jane Fonda was in this film. Like there's a, a moment where it's about being a professional trying to be in control but just can't. And she cries. And she cries when she's on air and, you know, the people in the control room, Kim, you're still on air, come on, keep going, keep going. But, you know, like that to me is just so extremely powerful. Yeah. You know, and she does eventually do it but then she comes from the – it comes from the heart. Yeah. And she's like, you know, Jack really was the hero. He was trying to protect everybody until, of course, go to commercial. But then – the thing that I kind of like about how it yeah, finishes. It's despicable, but it's, you love it. It's despicable, yes. But at the same time, you've got Jakovich and all of the TV executives in that control room and they're watching how good of a job she's doing at doing hard news. And they're basically like, God, she did a hell of a good job. Yeah, she'll be all right. She'll be all right. Yeah, and that is answer. really sort of, I think, is the underlying sort of representation and importance of women as a starting point yeah. towards the end for me. It goes a little bit away from that misogynism, but but it's still there. I'm not saying it's not, oh, not, yeah, it's not gone. There. It's definitely 100% there. Yeah, but yeah. I just think that that uh, at the end is a representation of the power of female journalism Yeah, at and the I time think period. it's also that thing where it didn't – it would have been really easy to dismiss it like, oh, look at that. The yeah. lady's crying. I know. They didn't do that. No. Which was a nice way to do it. But at the same time, the cynicism yes. that the film has pervaded through of like people in power trying to stay in power and changing the truth and mm. influencing the media. So all that anti-ethical thing and Michael Douglas trying to get what he's trying to do, like all these elements where you're trying to think of what is right mm. and then it's just cut to commercial and then it finishes with the same shot that it starts in the control room. I know. Where you've got the juxtaposition of the jerk in the newsroom mm. talking shit. Yep. Because he's a douche. Yes. 
and then you've got the test pattern and then the advertisement for something cheery and chirpy That's right. and then it fades. Absolutely. It kind of reminds me of um, the shot, the opening and the closing shots of um, Network um, yeah. a little bit because it's kind of got a similar sort of thing where they've got a television yeah, thing the there, control room, control room, room that kind of thing. I know, it just reminded me of that when I, when I saw that at the end. Now, and then, of course, you've got the closing credits. And mind you, no music at all. It's no. the only sort of closing credits I can think of that has absolutely no music at the end. But anyway, I find that fascinating. But I just want to mention a couple of other things before we yeah, I give you my rating. Yeah, yeah, no, so no. I want to go back to uh, the the closing sequence of this film just for a second in terms of it being a true story. Because as oh, I said, no. Michael Gray, he was a documentary filmmaker, right? And he was one yeah. of the people that, that obviously wrote the screenplay here. So the hijacking of the computer control room was actually inspired by the 1961 suicide of a utility employee at a government prototype nuclear power plant in Ohio. Shit. Yeah, absolutely unbelievable. And um, the malfunction that happens at the start of the film actually came from a 1970 occurrence at a Dreslin 11 power plant in Illinois. <laughs> Isn't that absolutely fascinating that at a time period when so much was discussed about nuclear power that and how all many of these incidents that and no been. that is clearly uh, influenced and shaped the screenplay of this film hence is one of the great things about this film yeah is the screenplay let alone of course the performances by of course Jack Lemmon and Jane Fonda you just there's just no denying how bloody good they are they but really also, are like the the concepts that they're working with yeah. and that that issue of morality yeah. and ethics it is is relevant now yeah like, it is the way that that story is told mm. if you take away the 70s pants yes and michael douglas's buffon <laughs> and some of the things like some of those issues the thing that blew me away was how fresh it was i agree because it's like as it's, scary as hell it is scary as hell and even though the blinking lights are different mm. you can see that the same sort of vested interests and the same sort of problems yeah could easily exist they could and clearly they did they did <laughs> <laughs> they did and in addition to that, just before I give you my rating, yeah, go on. is you mentioned before about Three Mile Island. Yeah. Now, Three Mile Island, this is the, another fascinating little golden nugget. Don't you love that Dino's gone all history I on us? I love it. I've got a bit of history today. So this film was released in 1979. Now, when it was first released, it was not... Mm-hmm. Sort of, it wasn't fully commercialized or anything. Oh, like really? That. They it didn't was do a massive promo run for at, it. Well, they they did, but it wasn't getting a lot of attention until twelve days after the film was released. What happened? Three Mile Island. Three Mile Island happened, and all of a sudden there was an influx of audiences going to see the film. So that event motivated and persuaded and influenced audiences to go and see the film. Hence, it getting a fifty-one million dollar box office success from a five point nine million dollar budget, which is pretty good. Wow. And it ended up being um, Columbia Pictures' most successful, one of their most successful films of the year as a result of the Three Mile Island situation. That's a a very desperate way to do publicity. Isn't it ever? (laughs) Craziness. A real-life event is going to influence people to go and see a film. That's like (laughs) telling me that Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was inspired by the Hindenburg. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And uh, Michael Douglas actually also produced the film too. Yeah, he he did. did, He did Cuckoo's Nest back in 75. He won an Oscar for that for Best Picture. And um, yeah, not only did he star in it, but he also produced it. Yeah, he flexed. Yeah. and He He flexed hard. He flexed hard, yeah. And he tried for many years to get this film made. And when he finally did, I'm I'm glad he did. And also, glad he put himself in the character that he did. I agree, yeah. He didn't go for anything else. He didn't go for the Jack Lemmon thing. No, he he didn't. He stayed as a cameraman. Yeah. 
swaggered it out perfectly. So yeah, 10 points for ch- keeping in the lane. <laughs> exactly. So for me. Because at that stage, Michael Douglas, you could have gone into any lane you, you wanted. You could have. You could have. So for me, I'm giving it four stars. I'm also giving it four stars. Yeah. Yeah, it's a. <sighs> it is. So it's damn a startling good. piece of work. It it's is so good. It's quite remarkable, yeah. really. It's uh, definitely one that I would highly recommend for people to go and see. Just yeah. not only because of the performances and art if, direction and that sort of thing. If I did, if I did have any complaints, you could have shaved fifteen minutes out of that film without affecting it. Um, you could have, but I still think. Uh, look, that's not a criticism for no. me with regard to the length. No, no. Of the film. Like all I was trying to do was think of something bad about that film that wasn't about the haircuts. Yeah. Look, direction at times was yeah, well, minor some the, things. Some of the like the director of photography, like some of yeah. the shots were just like, oh fuck, they're move. not. Yeah, I agree. Cinematography is not the best strength here. But and then some of the long shots where it's literally just yeah, you know, Fonda getting ready for work. Yeah, you're like. Probably could have lost that. Yeah, there's some minor little things here and there, but I think... Yeah, but they're nitpicks. Yeah, they are nitpicks, and that's why, hence, um, I'm giving it a four. I'm so, also giving it a four. Absolutely. Yeah, well, well, there you go. What Come have on. we got next week? Coming next week, Pie's Choice. So, I thought after that master acting class <laughs> that we've seen... Yes. We need to watch the second Twilight Saga film. The <laughs> Second, the second, not the first, but the second. No, What's that even called? Like saga something? Know. Oh my god! You don't you even moves? know the name of the film. No, I was just like, let's watch the second Twilight. The second Twilight. Yeah, I don't know what it's called. Oh, how can you choose a film that is a sequel when you know I need to see the first? I got to see the first one before Wait, I see the second. You one. haven't seen the first one? I've seen it, but a long time there you ago. Go. You've seen it. You can watch the second one. Yeah, but Wait, no. you haven't seen the second one? I've never seen the second Perfect. one. No, neither have I, actually. Uh, <laughs> oh, you <laughs> bastard. What, what a hell of a choice you've chosen. Yeah, I was like, well, he's gone full, uh, like, what a film, and, you know, should win the Oscars and accolades and everything, and what a performance. <laughs> Shovel face. Oh, great. Well, I'm very curious about that. But Staring you, into the glitteriest vampire ever. I don't know how I'm going to go with not being able to watch. I mean, I could watch the first one first and do that. Go on then. Well, I probably <laughs> I probably should because that's going to irritate me. I reckon you've done this deliberately because you thought, I oh, did, yeah, look, Dean would not like this. Look, I did, get, I did get a suggestion to watch the second one. And when I was driving over to Studio D, I was like, <laughs> that would actually be hilarious because Dino would be like, fuck, I can't do it without watching the first yeah, one. Yeah, I know. So I'm probably going to have to just do the first one. I, I've actually tortured you twice. Yeah, you certainly have. And you're pretty good at doing that. Yeah, thank you. Oh, no worries. That's but, why we keep me around. Oh, of course I do. But on that note, I'd better we finish yeah. up. Thanks, so, y'all. Thanks very much. And we will join you next week for the Twilight, Twilight series. <laughs> <laughs> See you then. <laughs>